welcome. You're listening to The Rescue Radio, a podcast by Portland Mountain Rescue. And I'm your host, Anja Viktorovich. Hi, friends. Welcome back. Today, I'm talking to Milo Milobinski and Amy Graham, my friends from Portland Mountain Rescue Unit. Milo has a story that he agreed to share with us. Before we do that, Milo, introduce yourself. Yeah, like Anya said, my name is Milo. It's actually Mark, but I go by Milo in PMR. I have been a member of PMR for five years, just over five years, and I'm at a support level. And here with me, I also have my co-host for today, Amy Graham. Hi, Amy. Hello. You were here with us uh, before, but can you introduce yourself as well? Of course. Uh, like Anya said, my name is Amy. I've been with PMR for a little over five years. I'm also on the board of directors for PMR, where I serve as the treasurer, and I'm excited to be here. So Milo, uh, my understanding is you were climbing El Dorado in August 2019. Can you tell us what is El Dorado, where it's located, and maybe uh, describe a route for our listeners? Sure. El Dorado is a mountain in the North Cascades of Washington State. It's one of the famous climbs up there because there's a knife edge of snow that you climb at the very summit to get to the top. So people like to climb El Dorado when the knife edge is particularly fun. We just decided to climb it as, um, as a Mazama climb. So I was a Mazama climb leader at the time and I put it on the schedule. And uh, we had a group of six people that joined to go climb El Dorado that day. So the route is you climb through a river to start and then go up some steep routes through the trees over a couple boulder fields. And then you hop onto the glacier, you cross the glacier, go up a ridge to the knife edge summit. So Milo, was this a one day or a two day climb? Being that I'm a little older, it was a three day climb. <laughs> well, that's how I did El Dorado as well when I climbed it last. So I don't think it's because you're older. <laughs> the plan was the first day we would uh, go to base camp, which is just before you get onto the glacier. And on the next day was summit day, so we got up somewhat early, got onto the glacier and went to the summit, and the plan was to come back to camp, spend another night, and then the third day, hike back out through the boulder field and through the trees. Nice. I don't think you guys were um, slower. You were just enjoying the, the views longer. That's exactly right. Let's talk about the accident. What happened, and um, was it on day one? No, it was on our summit day. So day one went very smoothly. Um, we had no problems. Some some of the times when you climb El Dorado, crossing the river evidently is a problem. It was not for us at all. Uh, we had no problems with route finding. We set up camp, had a really nice dinner, and a great evening. The views are amazing from up there. 
Next morning, we all got up. Uh, I think we decided to leave camp at six in the morning, um, got onto the glaciers and roped up. As we were approaching the summit, one of our climbers, um, she was very tired and didn't think that she could make it to the summit. So we found a place for her to rest while we went up to the summit. And then we caught back up with her on the way down, put her back on the rope and worked our way off the glacier. So the team kind of split up at that point. We could see the tents. We were a couple hundred yards away from them. So I was having a conversation with the, the individual who we left behind and um, the rest of the team went to the tents because it was only a couple hundred yards. We could see them. And were you still roped up at this time? No. Once we left the glacier, we got unroped and um, you have to climb up a gully to get back to kind of where we were camping. So we were up the gully already. Like I said, we were a couple hundred yards away from the tents and um, she and I were sitting down on some rocks, having a conversation. The rest of the team went ahead to the tents because we were very close. And after maybe 20 minutes, one of our team members came back and said that there had been an accident. Could we please come and join? So I was the climb leader and the individual I was talking to was um, a nurse. So she was our medical professional for the day. So we um, immediately picked up and walked down to where the rest of the team members were waiting with the individual that had slipped. And what did you find when you got back to the tents or the area where this accident happened? So as it turns out, this individual, um, we were walking on granite slabs that were almost flat. I would say no more than five to 10 degrees of angle. So basically a sidewalk. But there were some, there was some little gravel pieces on the slab. So when she stepped on it, her foot just went out from under her. And um, she was laying on the ground when I got back to where the accident had happened. So the nurse took a look, um, definitely had some pain in her foot and her leg. Uh, we took off her boot. We were right next to a little stream that was really cold. So she put her um, foot into the cold water to kind of ice it down a little bit. After a while, we tried to stand her up and it became obvious that she wasn't going to be able to walk down. Um, she had quite a bit of pain when she put weight on her leg and really wasn't able to put any weight at all. So being in the position that we were, we still had a couple boulder fields and some really steep tree sections to get back to the cars. I didn't think that we had enough personnel to evacuate her by ourselves. So I made the decision and asked the team to back me up, especially the medical individual, that I was going to activate my in-reach device. Awesome. How, how long did you wait for search and rescue to arrive? So um, when I hit the SOS button on my in-reach, everyone on the team said, well, what happens now? 
And I said, to be honest, I have no idea. I've never pushed the SOS button, so I don't know what happens next, but we're going to find out together. So within a minute, I would say I got a text message from somewhere that said, well, what do you need? I said, well, we have a medical, uh, an accident condition individual we believe probably has a fractured leg. Um, we don't believe we can self-evacuate, but we're fine where we are. We're close to our tents and we have food and water and there's no, no immediate risk to anything. They texted back that said, um, we're looking for a helicopter, but please plan on spending the night. So get her back to the tent if you can, and um, we'll be in touch tomorrow. And I said, I wrote back and said, yeah, that's fine. No problem. So was uh, all of this communication done within the inReach itself? Or it sounds like it might have been a conversation you were having on your phone or was this through the actual InReach Mini? So it, it's not an actual, I didn't have an actual InReach Mini. I had the InReach Explorer Plus, so it's a little bit bigger than the Mini. And all of the text communications were done directly through the InReach device. And it's extremely painful to try to write little messages on the InReach. There is an app that will talk through your phone so you can just do like text messages on your phone and they'll be sent through the inReach. But I didn't know that at the time. So I was typing out these little messages that took a long time. It takes me back to early 2000 when we had those Motorola brick phones when you had to like press a button five times to get to the right letter. That's exactly, that's exactly, what, yeah, that's exactly what it was like. That's how old we are. Okay. Awesome. So... Did you have to spend the night or did somebody show up? So we were preparing to spend the night and I got another text from them and they said, um, please be ready for helicopter. Please get ready for helicopter. I think that's all it said. And how long did it take between the first initial message to be ready for helicopter? I would say the helicopter was there in 45 minutes. 45 minutes. From the first initial message. That's very impressive. Yeah, I think we got really lucky because we were in a national park. So we we're in the North Cascades National Park. And the Park Service has a helicopter that isn't dedicated for search and rescue, but I think it's available for search and rescue wow. for missions like this. So, yeah, within 45 minutes, we heard the helicopter come over the ridge. We all did our whys for, yes, we need help. Yeah. And... um uh, the helicopter circled around a few times and found a flattish spot to set down. I think um, the pilot managed to put one rail down and then kind of let it hover. I'm not really sure what happened about getting her on board because I ran to the tents to get the individual's backpack. And um, that was about all I had time for. I didn't have time to pack up her tent or sleeping bag or anything, but we managed to get her backpack, which had her ID and such in it. So she was able to take that with her on the helicopter. Now, can you imagine if you didn't have your inReach, how long it would take to, because you had no cell service, right? How long it would take to get to the trailhead or to self-service 
You're absolutely right. There was no self-service. So what I would have had to do would have been to hike down through the boulder field and the tree field in the dark, um, get in the car and probably drive, what is it, like 17 miles back to Marble Mount where there is cell service and um, then activate the 911 system from there. So it would have been, Amy, you've been down, you guys have both been down that trail from the, where you go up that gully to the trailhead, what is it, six hours probably down, something like that? Well, in the dark, it will be longer. <laughs> the boulder field takes forever. So that was what the option would have been had um, I not had an in-reach that day. Yeah, it's a very steep downhill. <laughs> I was just going to ask if the individual was okay and recovered and uh, the outcome for her was fine, I presume. But I wanted to ask that question first. Yeah, so um, she got helicoptered to Marble Mount. And an ambulance took her from Marble Mount to, I think it was Shedra Woolley, uh, which is the nearest hospital. She ended up, not that day, I think they put her in a cast at, at the emergency room. She ended up having surgery and put in some plates for a tib-fib fracture. And she's fully recovered. I um, contacted with her a few times during her recovery just to see how she was doing. She sent a really nice email the next day. She's like one of the coolest ladies I've ever met, to be honest. This individual, she's climbed everything. She was a Mazama climb leader forever. Um, she climbed in the days when she, you get like a napkin of Fred Becky's directions of climbing up a gully to the bush and turning right. So that is what she remembered. So or that's how she remembered climbing. So she was kind of amazed on this whole in-reach thing. And I had the route on Gaia and all these other things that she really didn't used to use when she started climbing. But she said that the trip in the helicopter was the most amazing view of the North Cascades she's ever had. So I can imagine. She was in pretty good spirits. <laughs> yeah, I'm not gonna say I'm jealous, but I am kind of jealous. <laughs> the unfortunate thing for me is that we weren't able, we didn't pack her tent and all her belongings while we were waiting for the helicopter because we didn't really know it was coming right away. Mm. So had I done that, I would have had everything packed and ready with her. So when the helicopter came, we could have just dumped that all into the helicopter. Because as it was, we ended up with an extra sleeping bag, an extra tent, and all the food and everything that you keep in your tent that mm. I somehow had to figure out how to get down all that El Dorado fun stuff, which was which was a big pain, actually. Well, let's talk about the emergency signaling. You used inReach, right? Do you, do you want to talk about how it works? And then maybe we can talk about diff other different devices that are available out there? Sure. I mean, I, I'm not an expert at how it works. I know it um, signals satellites through, I believe, the Iridium system. So um, when I hit the SOS button, it sends up a signal to the satellites. The satellites figure out where my signal is coming from and send um, relay the message to somewhere close to like an emergency command site. 
it's a Garmin device. So I, I don't know if like Garmin is involved with this emergency command site. And then they route the message. They routed our message to the national park. So very quickly, I was talking to an, an individual from, from the national park. At, at the same time, I pushed the button, which I didn't know. I have some some contacts in, in my inReach device, my emergency contacts. So they were contacted after I hit the SOS button saying, oh, there's an emergency. And so they were texting me as well. So I was using the little inReach buttons like you were talking about with your old Motorola phone <laughs> to text back all these people saying, no, we're actually okay. We just need to, we, we just need some help at the, yeah. at the moment. So there's an option to have your emergency contact. And I believe you can also um, text people um, non-emergency, right? If it's like you want Correct. to text them your location and, hey, we made it to the base camp or we summited or something. So you can actually talk through this with your with your contacts, correct? Yeah, so what I typically do is I have a couple people that are pre-programmed into my inReach, and then there's a, a number of messages you can automatically send to the people that you want to get, like, everything's okay, everything's okay, but I'm delayed. Um, I'm at the, like you said, I'm at the summit. You can decide what these messages are, and every time you decide, hey, I want to let my group of people that care about where I'm at, you can hit the little button and they'll get a little message saying, hey, here's a here's a message from Milo. He's doing okay. He's late. And it actually sends the coordinates to them and with a little link so they can click on the link and a map will pop up and show exactly where I'm at. Oh, that's neat. That's very neat. Uh, do you know what the cost is? I think it's $12 a month. Okay, that's not bad. That's worth it. And that, um, with that, you are allotted 10 free text messages that go back and forth. And if you use more than the 10, 10 free ones, then you're charged a certain amount for each text message you send after that. Got it. Okay. This El Dorado adventure was the only time I've ever gone over my 10 text messages. So to clarify, I think cost might have gone up a bit. Uh, the monthly plan for a Garmin is $15 per month if you want to do just a monthly cost. Um, but if you do an annual contract where you're uh, locked in for a full 12 months, that cost does go down to $12. But I believe if you want to be month to month, that's the $15 per month plan. I was just going to also add that I think any of these devices, there is the upfront cost of buying the actual device itself too. So not only is there the cost per month to use the service, but there is the upfront cost. I don't know. It ranges, I think, a couple hundred dollars to uh, almost $500 maybe for some of these devices. Yeah, I think if I remember right, I paid $350 for the Garmin that I've got. And just this one experience makes that well worth it for me. Of course. When I was looking um, at Spot, I know you had to pay uh, an initiation fee. And it was, I think it was like $15 as well per month. 
And I think SPAD is just a different company, correct? That uses different satellites. I think it uses Global Star satellites. I know that it also requires clear view of sky. So if you're like in a heavily wooded area, that might be a problem. You might have to go higher up. And then I think one of the differences between SPOT and Garmin is the number of satellites. Uh, Milo mentioned the Iridium satellite network that Garmin uses, and uh, SPOT uses a low Earth orbit satellite, uh, and they have 24 of those for the SPOT devices versus 66 for the Garmin inReach devices. Mm. So you might not have coverage everywhere with SPOT? Correct. Makes sense. I believe if you look at it from a global perspective, there's some areas that in the world that SPOT doesn't cover. Mm-hmm. But according to Garmin, at least, they cover all areas. Mm. I know that SPOT units are less expensive. So it probably depends where where you're recreating. Um, if you need to make a decision whether inReach or SPOT, that might, that might drive your decision, like where, you, where you're uh, recreating. Uh, and if the cost is important that will help make a decision. Another interesting thing is uh, last year, was it, or two years ago, Apple came up with the SOS on iPhones 14. So I know um, start people started using them. There are definitely some advantages. I don't know. I've heard rumors that Apple will start charging for this service. I, I wasn't able to verify it. I don't know if you guys know. I don't know. Yeah. But I, I think, you know, um, that's a great solution if if you know your battery is going to last. Um, I know that inReach and Spot battery is way stronger than your phone. So I think it's important to bring extra chargers or I'm sorry, extra like external batteries just in case if you are going to rely on your cell phone. I haven't used iPhone for SOS, so I don't know how it actually looks like when you when you send for help. I think it says on the website that they do send coordinates. I also don't know how big the network is in terms of their satellite coverage either. Originally, when the SOS for Apple came out, it was only coverage for the U.S. and Canada. I know most of us all recreate in this area anyway, but in case you are venturing out to Europe or other parts of the world, it might be something worth looking into if you're only going to bring your iPhone. Yeah, it's it's worth researching, but I'm looking at their website right now and it says, they must have expanded because it says, in China mainland, you have to choose police, fire, or ambulance. So they must must be... um, Expanded since it first came out. Expanded, yeah. But I mean, uh, I love that they did it. Um, it just, I think, I don't know if it creates more dangerous situations that people are relying just on phones and the battery is not going to last as long as inReach and Spot. So there's something to keep in mind. I think something also to keep in mind too is to bring a external battery charger with you when going on any of these mm-hmm. uh, backcountry trips uh, because whether it's your phone or any of these spot or in reach devices, they need charging, having the opportunity or ability to be able to charge these devices is critical if there is an emergency. Yeah. And keep in mind that if it's cold, 
your phone battery drains really fast. I know when I go ice climbing, I have to put my phone in between two hand warmers and keep it close to my body. Otherwise, I can't take any pictures. <laughs> Another device uh, that I think is worth mentioning, although it's not as good as the, the ones that we just mentioned, is personal locator beacon. It's not a two-way communication, I think. I don't know if they upgrade it. I think it's about between 150 to 400 per device, but then you don't have to do annual fee. You, regis- you just register. And it has the homing signal, so it's not as easy to, to, to find. You know, people don't get the, the UTM coordinates. And I think it's it only sends the distress message only. It doesn't have, like, fancy texting that you made it safely to the base camp. So there isn't two-way communication for the personal locator beacons. It's just these Spot or Garmin devices that you're able to communicate both ways. Right, right. So you don't know, like, so you send a distress call, but you don't know if anybody got it or not. So you kind of sit and wait. It was definitely very nice to know that after I pushed the SOS button, that somebody actually got this signal and that they got back to me within a few minutes. So that was pretty reassuring as opposed to pushing the button, not having any feedback that anyone has gotten it and just sitting there and waiting for the next day. I think that would make it worth it for me just at that point. Probably better for morale too, for the whole team. Anything else that we could talk about this accident? I mean, it's kind of an interesting one because it was probably the most benign portion of the entire climb where we were at in that it, there weren't, we didn't consider there to be any hazards anymore at this point. We could see our tents. We were on fairly flat ground. Um, there were no crevasses. We were on, you know, granite and um, people let their guard down and just step on a little pebble wrong and slide. Yeah. I, I think it's a pretty good lesson to just um, keep up your guard and to really understand where you're at and what the consequences could be to something going wrong. And it can happen to anyone. I think she was the most experienced person on the climb, the person who had the accident. So if it can happen to her where it did, um, it could happen to any of us really. Yeah, it's a really good point. I think a lot of or most accidents happened on descent. And I think another thing worth mentioning is drive home. You know, you're tired. Uh, adrenaline is gone. You summit it. So I think the most dangerous part is actually driving home. But yeah. I have stopped on the way home on some climbs before and just pulled over and taken a nap because I was tired and I didn't think I could continue on safely. I definitely think it's something worth remembering when coming down the mountain, even if you are in camp and it's like Milo said, the, I don't know, hazards are gone and you're hanging out, getting food and water and recovering for the night before you head back to the car. Like anything can happen and you're still miles and miles from civilization or help for that matter and any accident could potentially take a long time to get help i think in milo's situation help came very fast which is great and i'm glad that that was the outcome but it could end up taking 
I don't know, overnight even, and it'd be 12 hours before someone is actually able to come help um, bring you out. And, and that's definitely something to keep in mind when just sitting in camp or enjoying the evening after a climb. Mm-hmm. Can you can you imagine if they didn't have the helicopter and they had to send people in and carry her through the boulder field? I can't even imagine that. They, yeah. They've probably done it before, but that's why they probably have a helicopter or standby. <laughs> that trek in and out of the boulder field is awful. And trying yeah, that's to like carry the someone. worst part of the whole climb is the boulder. It I is. Just remember it. Oh, well, going down, I think all the tree roots would be terrible too. I, we've yeah. all taken litters up and down trails and we're all in the rescue community. So we know what's involved in trying to do that down that trail over the boulder field and down the trees. It would be horrible. It would take hours. Not very comfortable for the patient to be in the litter for so long. So yeah, the outcome was great. Thank you so much, Milo. And um, thanks, Amy, for co-hosting. We should do it more often. Yes, I'm glad to be here. Thanks, Milo. Of course. Hey, before we part, there is a mountain film coming up in a little less than two weeks. It is going to be on March 13th in Revolution Hall here in Portland, Oregon. Please come enjoy some really inspiring films, win some epic ruffles, and just be part of this amazing climbing community. This is PMR's biggest fundraiser of the year, so we're counting on you. I'm not sure if you're aware, but we are 100% funded by our donors, which we're so grateful for. So I hope to see you there because I will be there. Thanks for listening. We really appreciate you. You can check us out at pmru.org. We're also on Facebook and Instagram under Portland Mountain Rescue, where you can find lots of useful information like current Mount Hood conditions and other public education news. Climbing season on Mount Hood is starting, so uh, there's a lot of conditions uh, reports coming from Portland Mountain Rescue, so make sure you start following us. Until next time, and play safe. <laughs>